As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. The advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Dr. Doreen Dr. Doreen Grandpichet is a visionary in the field of autism. Now you can ask her questions on Ask Dr. Doreen. Good morning and welcome to Ask Dr. Doreen. I'm Shannon Penrod. I'm here with the fabulous and the stunningly beautiful Dr. Doreen Grandpichet. So thrilled to be here with you this morning. Thank you so much, Shannon. It's always my pleasure and good morning, everyone. Good morning to all of you. Some of you have already written in and said hello. Good morning to our Journey Cameron's New Life, to Ka and to Michelle. So thrilled that you guys are here with us and I know that there are others of you who are watching. If you're watching us live, we are live right now on Facebook, on YouTube, Twitter, and about a dozen other sites, and our fabulous Traven will run through those for you in just a second. If you are watching us recorded anytime in the future, we are a podcast, and we're available for free wherever you download your podcasts. We, uh, we just love being available for you guys in this format. If you watch the show, you know that Dr. Doreen Grampiche joins us once a week here for Ask Dr. Doreen, and she answers your questions live. So the chat is open right now. If you want to write in because you have a question, uh, it is open, and we, we both have the ability. Sometimes so there are, I, I know some of you have written in and said, why did my question get ignored? Sometimes there's a weird thing where I get a question and she doesn't. We can't figure out why yet, yes, but we're working um, on it. Yeah. But we're, you know, so just uh, be persistent. If you see that we're not answering your question, excuse me, <clears throat> I got a tickle all of a sudden. It's the excitement <laughs> of all of it, right? The, the worst possible moment. Um, if you see that we're not answering your question, be persistent. We're, we're really not avoiding anybody's question no. ever. So write your question in again. So thrilled to be here. Uh, if you don't know Dr. Grampiche, she's a true f uh, expert in this field of autism. I believe the preeminent expert in the field of autism in our time, really any time. She's been working in this field for more than 40, I said four zero, 40 years. More than 40. Oh, yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm going to need to take a drink. And uh, it's just water. Don't anybody worry. But um, working with a wide variety of people. Absolutely. <coughs> and, um, you know, today we will do our very best to answer your questions. And uh, <coughs> but please keep in mind that sometimes it is difficult for me to um, answer the questions uh, because <coughs> I don't know your child. And it wouldn't be fair for me to give you direct advice. 
But nevertheless, um, I will do my best to give you some guidance. And um, we love when you guys write in early because sometime in the middle of the show, we get overloaded with questions <laughs> yes. and then we never get to finish answering everybody's questions. So please feel free and go for it. It's like voting, write in early and often, right? <laughs> yes, right, <clears throat> absolutely. So there we go. Um, and, and I love the disclaimer. There is no expert that can give individual uh, advice in this format, right? right? So, <clears throat> but do be as specific as possible and forgive my cough. And uh, Dr. Grampuche will give you a tour of her beautiful mind and tell you things that you maybe hadn't considered, things to take back to the expert who has eyes on the situation. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. I want to start with a question that was written in. Uh, last week, uh, an update. <laughs> I'm, I'm so glad. Uh, I think I got it. Okay. Hi, Shannon and Doreen. I want to update and ask you some questions. My son right now is three years, six months old. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's been in ABA since three years old, first 20 hours per week, and we are increasing per month. Right now he's in ABA for 50 hours per week uh, in three different centers in Jakarta. Two hours a week per sensory. And we've talked to this person before, so some of this is recap. Two hours a week sensory integration and occupational therapy. After very intensive ABA this one month, he is increasing eye contact, tacting, labeling, manding, some intraverbals, answering questions, but still very little spontaneous sentence or comment, and not yet conversational sentence. He is also increasing in babbling, random speech, not functional, and also functional words. My question, what can we expect from the therapy? Can a very lot of ABA therapy cause an overdose? Is an increase in babbling between functional words after intensive ABA therapy, is it good or bad? Um, Big hug from your fan in Jakarta, Indonesia. They go on to say, how long does intensive ABA therapy last? What outcome uh, will we see in the upcoming months or years? Right now, he is still in minimal verbal stimming. Can ABA therapy reduce or minimize, disappear the verbal stimming? My son can interact like hugging, kissing, saying goodbye, uh, kiss by. He is sweet and cheerful, playful boy, and thank you very much. Would you like that to refer to? Because sure. there was so much there. That's a great question. Um, There's a lot there. Yeah, yeah. And I guess the first thing I want to say is, you know, he's only been in therapy for six months. So we cannot expect a massive change in six months. Generally speaking, I mean, and you've, honestly, this is really fabulous change already in six months because the fact that, you know, all we expect in the first six months or so is... Um, what we call compliance, which basically means that the child is now responsive to the instructions given by the therapists and um, is showing interest in the therapy. And so the child will come and sit down and start actually engaging with the therapists and possibly imitating. And that's really about all you can expect in the first six months. A lot of times when those types of things happen, uh, the challenging behaviors start to go down and decrease just because the child is now becoming more engaged, more involved, more communicative. Um, They don't feel as frustrated. It sounds like you have a lovely, you know, little boy who's cheerful, playful, sweet, 
and maybe he's and that's honestly Shannon a wonderful thing but and, and it's even more wonderful that you've started therapy so young because sometimes our kids uh, become frustrated when they're four and five and six because they're not able to communicate so you've kind of caught him at a very early age and you are teaching him communication which is wonderful and beautiful so you're in a very, very good spot. 50 hours, there is not a scenario where you will be overdoing ABA. So let's just start with that. I've had, if you have the, I guess, luxury of having 50 hours, um, that's a wonderful thing. And there's no harm that's going to come of this. You're just going to want to make sure that you have plenty of time for fun activities as well. He is a little guy. And so we want to make sure that his program is packed with reinforcers, right? So when you do a 50-hour program, you want to make sure there's um, physical activity involved as well as, of course, the stuff that you're working on, which is probably language and imitation and social behavior. But you want to make sure there's also like a creative activity like arts and crafts and play activity and physical activity, as I said. So it's kind of, you want to make sure your program is very, very, um, you know, well-rounded. Um, and so then I'm not worried at all. It's wonderful. Yes, you're going to have a little bit of an increase in babbling, not a problem. In fact, when we have kids who even their self-stimulatory, vocal self-stimulatory behavior increases, we don't get nervous about it at all. It's just vocalization that needs to get under control. So don't get nervous about it. It's a good thing. Um, he is trying to communicate, and he's trying to learn the difference between words and sounds. So that is all very, very good. I'm not at all worried about anything that you wrote here. I'm very, very excited for you. And I think that you're doing a great job. And, and stay with it. It's fabulous. Amazing. Yeah, it's so nice to see that someone can actually get that many hours in, in, in Indonesia. And, yeah, no kidding. And I'm sure that it's because you've worked really hard to get it because you, you can't get that anywhere unless you've done some work. I will say that, you know, you're coming from a place of doing ABA at the highest level that, and training just, people to do it at the highest level. That up. Yeah. And that that is your experience. And, and I'm ever so grateful for that and for your experience of ABA. I will say that there are people who don't do ABA as well as Dr. Grampichet and the people that she trains uh, to do it. That exists in yes. the world. Yes. So my one caution to this, this parent so is, is about making sure that they are doing it the way you're saying, that it is reinforcing for him, that he's having a good time. I, this, this is, I think, one of the biggest things that I see when I'm talking with ABA, even with professionals that I'm amazed sometimes if I'm talking to someone whose work I don't know and we start talking about ABA and there comes a point in the conversation when I, when I realize, oh, they're not talking about what I'm talking about. Yeah. And because they're talking about endless DTT. Mm -hmm. This happened to me recently at a conference I was sitting in and there were a group of people, uh, professionals that were sitting there talking and they were talking about some of the criticism of ABA mm -hmm. and I thought, well, I'm amongst... My people, these are professionals. Mm -hmm. they, they clearly, and the one woman who, uh, I, I don't, I don't want to be telling tales, but it's, I, 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 didn't, I don't know her. I don't know the name of the organization that she works for. 
Um, so I'm not going to say that, but she runs it. Mm-hmm. And she said to me, well, I, you know, I do feel bad about the fact that early on in my career, I, I worked with a kid and I did 40 hours and I said, oh my, how lucky, how mm-hmm. lucky for that family. And she goes, oh no, it was terrible. We just worked that child so hard. I still feel bad about it. And I said, but, but you played with her in between and you made it reinforcing. And she said, what? And I was appalled. Yeah. I was appalled. So please make sure that they are doing it the so, way that Dr. Grampuche says, that they are making it fun for your child, that they're that they're they're making it, you know, that the child is having a good time. Yeah, and so I'm so glad you actually said this, Sharon, because we should talk about this yeah. a little bit. Because it's the other side too. I kind of want to touch both sides of this. Mm. So yes. you know, and I just because I just saw the other side a couple oh. days ago. And so the other... You mean where all they do is play? And and it's all, what would you like to do now? And let's play and it's all self-directed. Exactly. Yeah, that ain't it either. Or even if if it's not self-directed, it's all natural environment type stuff. It's all... And here, so let's just talk about that. So the DTT portion of that we're talking about, the discrete trial portion, is very specific. It's like, it is, discrete trial is a form of ABA, which is probably the most structured form of ABA. And what it is, is basically you give an instruction to the child, you wait a very specific amount of time for the child to respond, and then you reward that response if it is correct. You do not reward it if it is not correct. You also have the ability to give what's called a prompt which you give when you give your instruction, and that prompt is kind of like something that makes it easier. And there's many different ways to prompt. You could, uh, you know, give a visual prompt. You could put the gestural prompt. You could put the hand of the child on the object. You could model the behavior you want, whatever. It's a whole bunch of prompts. Um, But, you know, as you make something easier, then you eventually have to get back to the point of not prompting. Yeah. And then you have to make sure the child has learned. But doing this... So like when, when someone does ABA and they're doing discrete trial, they'll do about 10 trials of this, take data on that, and then do 10 more trials and so on and so forth. And you don't always have to do 10 trials, but, you know, it's good to do 10 trials because then it's just very easy to catch the data, right, right. to calculate the data. And you want to get to a point where the child's response is unprompted response is somewhere between 80 to 100% correct. And then you will put that object aside or that particular target skill aside, do another target the same way, and then you will rotate the two targets to make sure the child understood the concept. That's a very, very structured way of teaching ABA. And if you were to do 40 hours of that without throwing in lots and lots of reward, and I mean, in fact, like one of the things that I always teach people is when you first sit down to do the screen trial, ask the child what they want as a reward. What do you want to work for? Yeah. And whether it's something, you know, edible or a toy or an activity or whatever, make sure they have the motivation for that. So you have to really pack it in with lots of reward. And also um, everything that is mastered, you want to kind of get up and make sure that it is generalized to the real environment, yes. right? So it's, <clears throat> It's a mixture, I guess, of when you do good A-B. It's a mixture of discrete trial, natural environment type stuff, and lots of, lots of reward. Now, the discrete trial to me is where the push forward is. 
and it is, it's extremely important as well. So you can't push forward without giving a lot of fun and reward, but you also need that push forward because sometimes, let's say a parent comes to you and they're just like their child is running around, has absolutely no ability to communicate, etc. And the team starts to do a lot of just natural environment type yeah. stuff. And now the child is responding, but a lot of the time that they're responding, it's kind of prompted or it's an imitation of yeah. a modeling of, of the behavior of the therapist. And it's not fully mastered, but it appears pretty good because there's like a whole bunch of people kind of interacting with the child. Yep. And they're sort of like, what did I say? No. And they're just like... It's natural conversation, but it isn't really, the child would probably not do very well on their own. Right. So I really think it's important to make sure that you have both. You're not just wasting time and playing, but you're also not being so strict that it's aversive to the child. It's got to be a combination of learning and reward, and then that works. So you know how I explain this to parents? Uh, you remember how when we when our kids when we were doing the SATs and our kids were doing the SATs all the analogies that you know sure. car is the to hardest. fish is whatever and and so I always say okay so DTT is to ABA what steering wheel is to car okay there you go oh that's a right? great and analogy. I say to people wow. I say because you know here's the thing I love if that. you were going to drive to Vegas and somebody handed you a car without a steering wheel, you would go, I'm going to have a really hard time getting there. You would need the steering wheel. But if I said to you, here's a steering wheel, go to Vegas, you're done. Yeah. Right? You really shouldn't be going without both. That's so good. That's really great. I love that. And, but, but, you know, for people who think that DDT is the whole car, I'm like, excuse me, it is not. Right. It is right. not the whole car. No, not by any means. By any means. Right. But you really can't get far in a car without a steering wheel. Because you'd be, you know, you might run into the ditch. Absolutely. And after a certain point, you stop even doing DTT because now a lot of the content that you're teaching is very, very natural and you can't really teach it in a DTT format. The DTT format is, I think, the first maybe two years or so is part of the program. In the third, fourth year of the program, when you're really doing a lot of generalization, play, social behavior, et cetera, yeah. DTT is pretty much gone. But DTT is the part that you guys see in videos that you go, that looks robotic. That, you know. The other example that I give people all the time is I say, let's talk about ballet. Mm-hmm. And that if I were just to Absolutely. go in and show a ballerina doing a plie and say that's ballet, it would not be that. But you can't become a ballerina who can dance and do the whole thing Absolutely. unless you've done some of those rudimentary things. Anytime you take dance, they say, you know, they, they will do this very robotic thing and say, put your left foot here, now put your right foot here. That is not done. Right. That's just right. the beginning. Right. Um, so that's the weird, and everybody that's looks right. at DTT and they go, oh, that oh, looks my terrible. I wouldn't do that. But I mean, Shannon, like you're using a lot of really great comparisons. Think about the fact that, you know, So we, in our day-to-day lives, we use money, right? And the concept of money exchange requires some ability in math, right? Where did that start? That started started with us memorizing the math tables, the multiplication tables, you know what I mean? So in the beginning, there's this, like, very rote activity of two times two is four, and we all did this. Yep. 
And then that turns into something that is used in your day-to-day -day life. Amen to that. Well, and, and we, we brought up a token economy. So mm -hmm. we're going to move because okay. money is a token economy. Um, so our journey, Cameron's New Life, said, what is a good behavior token economy? We started a summer challenge to photograph the alphabet. Hope it motivates our support staff, your thoughts. And they say we're working on public safety so challenge is collecting pictures in public places of the alphabet while I'm assuming while they stay safe. There's a lot going on there. Yeah, uh, I'm not sure I understand the question. Do you do you Well, can... what I took and uh, Christina help us if if I if I'm not right here is that the summer challenge is to photograph the alphabet. So that's one thing. But they want to know a token economy for doing that, I think safely. So that okay. every time he behaves safely. What I'm concerned about is, is a token economy something you should use when it's a safety issue? Well, you can. It always depends. But, I mean, what is photographing the alphabet? What so where they've given him a camera and he goes out into public and they want him aware of the surroundings. So they're like, is that, do you think what I, that is? I definitely think that's what it is. Christina, help us if I'm off in La La yeah, Land. Yeah, why don't you give us a little bit more information? Okay, and then let's come back to that one. Uh, but Susie B. wrote in and said, how do we get our son to sit through a haircut? He's almost eight. It's getting tougher every time. Yeah. Parker wrote in and said, haircuts are usually a sensory nightmare for kids yeah. on the spectrum. Yep. Um, and that his parents, he says, I know parents who had to get a barber's license so they can cut their <laughs> hair in the group home that their kids live in. Uh, wow, because they won't let them cut unless they have a barber's for their own children. Um, they do have calming clippers out there, and haircuts are all about trust. Find a good barber or stylist that is good in the tr and trust the process. I will say that we've had Jim the barber on the show before. He's the, the big famous guy in England. And he started an association of people in England that learn how to cut hair for people that have sensory issues. Yes. And he's the one that years ago they, they first showed the picture of the little boy laying on his belly in the, in the, the barber shop and him getting down on the floor on his belly too to cut his hair. And that's Jim the barber. Boy, he's willing to go that extra mile so to cool. meet the kids wherever they are. But help us. What yeah, are some of course. things? Here's some ideas. I mean, and I love Parker always has really good ideas, but let me just kind of approach it as a behaviorist. And you always want to, um, I guess, classify how aversive is this activity for my child? Like yeah. what is the level of averse, I guess? Yeah. Because however aversive it is, you kind of need to match it with the same powerful reinforcer yeah. level, right? So let's find out. Uh, first of all, we talk about it being sensory. Is it a sensory issue that has to do with touching the scalp? Or is it a sensory issue that has to do with sound? Or is it a fear? I mean, that's another thing, too, yeah. because sometimes our kids are perfectly fine when there are scissors, but they become very, very averse to clippers and the sound of the clippers. So identify that first because you're going to shape each one of those. And I, don't, I think it's important because sometimes you don't have to deal with clippers, let's say if it's a girl with long hair. Yeah. Sometimes it's not even an issue when it has to do with like just clipping hair. Find out exactly what it is. And you can, you can, if, it, if it's, you know, you know your child and you know if your child is, if you touch their scalp or if you move their hair in different ways. 
if that bothers them. And if that bothers them, then it is a sensory thing that has to do with the movement of the hair. She wrote back in. uh, She says he's okay with the clippers. I believe it's the hair falling on him. And can I tell you, when Jem was little... Um, I remember one of his first haircuts, he, we, we, cause he would squirm and be everywhere. So we put him in the high chair to do it, mm-hmm. to contain him. And he had all these curls. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know if you guys realize I have like insanely curly hair. And when he was little, he did too. And then it went, his went straight all of a sudden, but we cut off his curls and they fell onto the, the, you know, the little tray yeah. and he cried and he kept taking them and going like oh. this to put them back. Because it was a part of him. Yeah. And he didn't understand. Yeah. How interesting. And that's a very, but also how about like, I hate it. The sensory thing of when, when they cut my hair and there's those little like pins and the needles. The tiny little ones. Oh, I have to take a shower immediately after yeah. haircut. cat doesn't matter what they put on me drives me absolutely bad. You know what? That's interesting. So that's honestly the thought of, you know, that it bothers the child when it falls on them mm-hmm. is not something I would have thought of. Mm. And this is the thing with our kids. They yeah. have these different sensory things that, so, you know, that if that is the exact thing, then I would recommend that you, um, well, there's, Shannon just brought up another concept, which is, is it the actual feeling of the thing falling on them? Or is it that they're afraid that you're chopping off a piece of them mm. that because they don't understand the concept that hair regrows, yeah. right? Yeah. So um, again, with all of these, once you've identified exactly what it is, I would practice it. You can practice it on a doll. I mean, there are a lot of dolls now that are just for haircuts, right? Yeah. And you can actually give control to the child, allow the child to use those doll clippers or scissors and and um, cut the hair of the doll and make sure you, you know, oh, look, look how beautiful it looks and she's happy or he's happy or whatever it is. If it's a sensory thing where you're practicing it on the child, please make sure that you do it in a very, very gradual thing. This is one of the things you and I talk about often is that we try to teach our kids things that are happening in day-to-day life and we don't we do it when it's supposed to happen as opposed to doing a practice round yeah. do you know what i mean so like for instance a lot of times when i say you want to introduce your child to going to the doctor right and they're nervous to go to the doctor i hate to tell you but the way to do it is to actually just drive to the doctor's office reward the child and come back home yeah. then the <clears> next day and you could do this with the hair salon too So the next day, you would actually go in, say hello to the hairdresser, and then come back home. And then the next day, you might go there and watch another child get a haircut and give your child a big reward, you know, like they give lollipops or whatever. And then come home. Stickers and then come home. And gradually, as your child acclimates to that place, the fear of that place goes away. And a lot of the kids' barbershops are really fun now. Oh, yeah. They have, like... Uh, cars you can ride yeah. around in and all that sort of stuff. And by the way, you can also practice this at home if you just get one of those, um, the the thing that they put around you, like the apron, yeah. and just have it at home. Like practice the concept of putting the apron on the child. Maybe do a tiny little uh, cut so that it falls and laugh together and enjoy it and maybe even make a craft with the hair or something yeah. like that. Because it's all about the experience of the child 
in their mind, this is somehow producing fear. Yeah. It's not <clears throat> about forcing them through it. Like, I just want to be you. very clear about Thank that. Thank you. It is not about that. That is, I can't, there's, when you have terror, which our kids experience sometimes for whatever reason, there's no amount of reward that's going to balance that out because they're in terror. You know what I mean? So it's about doing it so slowly and pairing it with a lot of reward that the whole experience is not fearful, fear evoking anymore. It's funny because, you know, we've already started working on the toy guide for this mm -hmm, year. Mm -hmm. And um, <clears throat> it always gets me in the mindset thinking about toys and, and, and where we're going and uh, in terms of play. But when I was a kid, um, one of the things that we did all the time because we didn't have video games is that you would play pretend and you would set up, you know, if you, you play school yep. or you play barbershop or, or beauty parlor or whatever. Doctor, and do doctor doctor's nurse. office. We, we, we did all of that, right? And, and, I, and I see that with toys, we're starting to have a return to it in real life, but Good. we're also having a re return to it in terms of virtual yeah. video games, which I think is super important too. Because for about 20 years, we kind of removed that from the equation. Right. The, the, like, like I'm going to try that sociodramatic play of I'm going to be someone other than who I dress am. Up, yeah. And, and I'm going to dress up and I'm going to be the dentist right now and I'm going to be the doctor. And you know... It's super important for our kids. It's well, rehearsal. Absolutely. We rehearse fire drills for a reason. That's right. And Shannon, you bring up a really good point because, as we know, one of the areas that our children struggle with and it impacts multiple areas of functioning is that whole concept of perspective-taking, yes. theory of mind. Yeah. And so playing at the role of someone else is, in general, a very hard task yeah. for our kids, and it is an extremely valuable task. If you can teach your child to pretend to be hairdresser, pretend yes. to be doctor, dentist, whatever it is, and go through those things... It actually gives your child not just a perspective of, of what the other person is doing, but it gives them control. And I can't use that word enough times because a lot of times we are very capable of doing whatever it is that we're supposed to do as long as we're in control. The moment yeah. we lose <clears throat> control, we struggle and we're fearful because we don't know what's happening to us yeah. as opposed to, okay, I'm going to do something myself, then I'm going to do it step by step. Yeah, absolutely. She says it's a great idea. She's going to have him practice on the doll. And she also says that he's been going to the same place since he was one. His hairstylist has so much patience with him. She's offered to come over to our house also. Do you think we should do that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that would be really anything you can do to acclimate him yeah. gradually and to produce, you know, and I mean, honestly, if she's willing the way to do it is to do a very, very short uh, session. Like, yeah. for instance, now we're going to cut two times. Clip, clip. That's it. Yeah. And really reward him. And then the next time, now we're going to cut five times. Can you count with me? One, yeah. two. And make it so that he realizes it's benign. 
And then, yeah. of course, you know, I, I to this day hate going to the dentist. So I'm the person that requests the dentist put on something on TV. <laughs> yes, right? And right. Of course, for kids, they have those now at oh, salons. And yeah. if you can, if the child can engage with something that's a little bit distracting after after they've already agreed to it. Like right. that I think is very important. Oh, I appreciate you so much for saying that, that them agreeing to it. Yeah. That it's not just, because I think a lot of people are like, kind of skip distracts on They're like, here, here's an iPad. Now do it. Take yeah. the blood or, or, you know, do whatever. You, you know, you need to. It's funny because I just was talking about this with my niece the other day. I, I had to go to the eye doctor and I'm highly allergic to lidocaine. So I'm always on edge. Yeah. And whenever anybody walks towards me with a needle or anything, I go, slow your roll. <laughs> you know, what's in that? I'm allergic to lidocaine. Do, are we prepared yeah. for this? Right. And I went to the eye doctor and this woman just came at me with this stuff to put it in. My, and I said, hold up, Ugh. hold up. How about you tell me what's happening before you do it? Yeah. She goes, I'm, I'm, you're at the eye doctor. I'm going to put drops in your eyes. And I said, so you just like, do people just sit in a chair and you just come up and put, I said, talk <sighs> to me before yeah. you touch me. It's so, yeah. And I, I mean, like, if I have to say that as an adult, I imagine what it's like for our kids. This person just comes at me with a pair of scissors. Absolutely. You know, that we need to be like having the conversation and communing. And I love a good doctor who says, okay, now I'm, I'm gonna going come to come and I'm going to put eye drops in your eyes. Everybody this... loves that. Right? That is such an awesome thing when doctors do that. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's, it's dying I a agree. death, apparently. Because <laughs> you can't. And, and they, I know they wrote in my chart, difficult. <laughs> I know that they did. I, I'm like a Seinfeld episode where Elaine was like, I'm going to oh get my, my record to see that they wrote that I'm difficult. And you know what? I don't care. Because maybe they'll no, think absolutely. about it before going to the next person. I, I agree. And yes, I am difficult, in case they were wondering, and I make no apologies for it. Um, okay, uh, Joe wants to know, do you have any kids that have gone through the stem cell therapy option, and what were their outcomes? So really great question. And I do actually have kids, I do know children who've gone abroad and gone through the stem cell options. And I'll be honest, I think the parent, the, I think there was a little bit of a placebo effect in the beginning where having gone through something like that, the initial reaction was, oh, we think we see some change. And, and let me tell you, it is very hard because no one is doing just stem cells, right? Everybody's doing something. Your child's in school, you're getting ABA, you're getting speech, you're getting a million other things. So it's very, very difficult to see the result and say, it is this, yeah. right? But even the parents who, and these are just the ones that I know, who went to the trouble of doing this after a while, let's say after five or six months, they felt that there was no lasting change or effect that had uh, happened on top of everything else they were doing. Yeah. Now, that's just to say that at this point in time, stem cells are developing. I did a whole show with, on the doctor's show, which mm -hmm. was about stem cells. And there was some research that was done uh, that you know made the news and everybody thought, oh, stem cells are going to be very effective and so yeah. on. It was pretty faulty research. Like there was a lot of debate about whether or not this research was actually well done. And there were a lot of criticisms. There were a lot of things. I don't, I, I don't want to go into that right now. But yeah. there were things that were not necessarily, it wasn't the best research. And it hasn't been replicated. So 
At this point, I would say, and I know it's hard to say this, but I would wait a little bit longer. I think maybe another year. There's a lot of research going into stem cell development right now, so maybe another year and we will be at the point um, where we have something a little bit more beneficial. And let me tell you, I, I kind of understand people who are very anxious about this. I have some of our people, some of our viewers might know I have like lower back injury from multitude of car accidents and stuff that I had when I was younger. I'm actually on the wait list at Mayo Clinic for stem cell for mm. my lower back, wow. but it's too early, you know, and they're doing a lot of work on stem cells with joints, yeah. but not yet necessarily what I need. So, you know, it's coming and I thank God it's coming because it's yeah. miraculous, but I would wait a little bit longer. There we go. Um, Parker says, I've heard horror stories of parents planning birthday parties and nobody shows up or RSVPs. Some have had, uh, have called police officers to have them show up, not to like arrest anybody, but to celebrate. Mm -hmm. And we've had people who've called fire departments as well and things like that. Uh, some have used the social media campaigns, et cetera. What do you think is the best way to plan a birthday party for an autistic individual? It's so funny, Parker, you say that. Like, I remember I had a birthday party for my son when he was very young. I think it might have been, I want to say, three or four. Mm -hmm. And only one other child showed up. Mm -hmm. And I think he remembers it. I mean, he's yeah. now, as you know, a very social being and has tons of friends. But, um, I mean, I, I guess it's like any other party. I would just you know, get, first of all, get confirmation, have activities that are uh, not just fun for the child, but fun for the other folks that you want there. Um, I wouldn't necessarily, I, I would definitely, especially today, um, invite other individuals who are also on the spectrum who might have similar interests. That, I think, is something that was not possible 15, 20 years ago because the uh, prevalence wasn't there, and it was very hard to say. I always said, like, I, I remember early in my career, I had a child who was just brilliant, and I never could really find for him the appropriate social group because he was such a genius. Yeah. And it wasn't until he himself found in school another boy who had Asperger's, and then the two of them became, like, you know, two peas in a pot, and it was beautiful. Yeah. Um, but I really believe that if you can try to identify the people who are similar, right, have similar interests, no matter what age, um, and that you provide an activity that is of interest to the social group, you're going to have people show up. It's yeah. really that simple. It's about planning the right people. I got to say, uh, you know, I, I think from the parent perspective, it kind of depends on the age of the child, what your it's tactic hard. is. But I'm going to say something, and it's going to be wildly inappropriate. Uh, and this is not a commercial. But I'm going to say I threw cash at it. Okay. I, I just threw cash <laughs> at it. And I didn't have the money to spend, but I would save all year long. And when we had a couple of parties when, when my son was little, and what we would do was we would invite a, all of our adult friends yeah. to a kid party yeah. and ask them to bring all of their kids. And that's how, but when he started school, mm -hmm. when he was in kindergarten, I don't know whether, yeah, it was kindergarten. The year that he turned five, um, we, and in, we invited the entire class. Yep. At, like, and we made sure we sent multiple invitations home with the parents 
And we had the birthday party at, ready for this, not a commercial, Build-A-Bear. Yeah. Oh, and it yeah. said, it said, please come. Um, your child will be given a teddy bear. Because when you do a birthday party at Build-A-Bear, they have a specially priced teddy bear. At that time, it was $10. And I kind of did the math on it, and I was like, and I had cupcakes that were in the little um, every kid's like, going to go cup, yeah. uh, the the, uh, the little Chinese takeout yep. cup. Um, so I didn't have to clean my house. Yeah, I didn't have to buy decorations. We did the build a bear, and when you do the build a bear, I'm going to say this. I don't know if it's like this now, but it was at that time. So it was several hundred dollars because not only did every single kid in the class come, they brought their siblings. Oh, dear. It was so much money. I about had a heart attack in the store. But then they gave us, you got points for every dollar that you spent, you got points. So he had free teddy bears for the next five years because I think it was $500 when I was all the way done, which is for a lot of people, that's nothing for a birthday party. For me, that's catastrophic chest pain. Yeah. Right? But that one party... At Build-A-Bear. Made him so popular. Made him popular. And every party that we had afterwards, everybody knew that their kid was going to get something good. Yeah. And people would come out of the, and they were, and they would call and say, do you mind yeah. if he brings a friend? Yeah. And we never had a problem after that. Yep. So I'm sorry. I'm no, going to say throw cash it, at it. It's funny <laughs> that you say this, Shannon, because there's actually a lot of studies mm. about, you know, one of the primary tactics to increase the social draw of an individual is that is yeah. like fun activities or even th- gadgets or a toy like one of there's a lot of research that says hey if you want other kids to play with your child mm-hmm. have them take something very interesting to school yep once a week and others will be drawn to that object yeah and and absolutely i mean if you can throw a party that is attractive go for it that's the way to go for yeah. sure and Build-A-Bear loved it because not only, you know, did they have my $500, but for the parents, who, for, there, were, there were parents where my son went to kindergarten, you know, there was a lot of disparity between income in the, in the classroom. Mm-hmm. So there were a lot of kids that that might be their only teddy bear that they Definitely. got. And we felt good about that. But for the kids whose families had a little bit more money, then they ended up buying two outfits for the bear. Yeah. And the Build-A-Bear people were yeah. like, you can throw a pet party here whenever you Any, want, anytime Shannon. Anytime you want. And, yeah. and, and we would come back every special occasion because I had this card that had all these Build-A-Bear points on it. Definitely. And he got a t- teddy bear for every wonderful thing. It was, the, it was the party that kept on giving. Yeah. It was, you, it was you know, probably the best $500 I ever spent. Absolutely. And, and, you know, you as a parent have to also be aware that that environment might not be right for your child because it's too noisy, it's too stimulating, oh, I don't yeah. know. Like, I remember going to parties at Chuck E. Cheese where oh. I wanted to kill myself. Oh, I was like, oh, my God, I can't do this. Like it's five too more much. Minutes. Yeah. So you have to also be very wary of that sort of stuff with your child, but there's no question. If you can provide goodies and, like, a fun activity and promote that so everybody yeah. kind of knows this is the fun house... Yeah, it's kind of like everybody knows which house in the neighborhood oh is the God. one where they give the big candy bars for Halloween, and everybody that's knows it, that's it, it, right? That's it. That's it. And so you got to throw that <laughs> kind of birthday party. You know, when I um, when Charlie, my youngest, yes. was little, so I, for all my kids, I used to throw these parties where it was like yeah. swimming, and we'd have one of those uh, things, you know, caterpillars oh. or bouncy house or whatever oh, it yeah. is, and I would, it was 
so difficult, but I would be out there the entire day, oh, yeah. all day, with not just the kids, but with the parents. Yeah. And I'm telling you, these parties, forget about making her popular. They made me... Yeah. Every time I'd go to a school event, the parents were like, I reserved you a seat. Oh, yeah. Because they want their kid to be invited back to the to party. To event. Yeah. It's, yeah. Yes, it's yeah. crazy. And can I say that when my son got older, um, we did the Friday afternoon video club oh, that, nice. um, that he was- had um, when he was in junior high because we were struggling for him to make friends now that he was switching classes. So he got to invite three friends over every Friday afternoon. and so nice. I. And I would have all the snacks. I would go get in and out drive through. Oh, wow. I would, you know, there would be milkshakes and things. So awesome. And I never could, like, they could throw popcorn in so our nice. living room and I just let them do it. And um, and it turned into a thing where people were like, how do I get my kid invited to the Friday it's, afternoon? I love it. And here was the other part about it was you could only come if your grades, if you were passing everything, all yeah. your classes. Yeah. And parents were parents would go, can, is there any way that I can get my child invited to your Friday <laughs> afternoon club thing? I love it. You know, you got to work it, you guys. Um, and it's terrible, but and it's hard. Okay. Uh, I got, we got to go. Kai uh, had written in and Ka had written in and said, my son uh, cannot seem to to get good a- ABA, he will start, and then the the BI will quit or move. It's been so hard. He also just sits at a desk <sighs> the whole time, so my son feels like he's back at school. Yeah. Okay. So we're all going to, like, you, have Tom. a moment, yeah, right? Yeah, I hear you. First of all, it's a pretty crazy time right now in the behavior uh, health industry. I don't... It's, I mean, I know that it's the same in a lot of different areas as well in terms of people going back to work. It seems to be very, very difficult for people to actually go back to work after COVID and actually being able to work at home. I think that has been an extremely difficult yeah. transition for people. Um, this, you know, a lot of uh, agencies, I think their uh, behavior intervention people, so their behavior technicians... Um, are young and they are recruited to these positions. And these days, by the way, a lot of organizations give these folks signing bonuses. So as soon as you come on, you get a couple of hundred bucks. And then they realize this is not as easy as I thought. First of all, I got to learn all these techniques. And secondly, I might actually have a child who's angry, aggressive, there's challenging behaviors. I got to run around and so on. And there are people who are, they don't, they're not in it for the right reasons. Yeah. Just that simple, right? I remember many, many, many years ago, I had a gentleman who had his master's, and I was like, this is great. You know, like, yeah. I'm going to hire this guy. He wanted to learn all the ropes, and I was like, yeah, absolutely. We're going to teach you, and you're going to work with these children and all this sort of stuff. And then one time, a parent came to me and said, hey, I just videotaped this therapist. Yeah. And the guy, this is like a guy who was going for his doctorate, right? And he's sitting there balancing his checkbook. I think I know checkbook. this guy. You know? <laughs> I think he's I know this guy. He's sitting there balancing his checkbook. <laughs> I wanted to, like, go suffocate him, you know? Right. I was like, how dare you waste the time of, of our child here? Yeah. And anyway, so there's, you know, it is very hard. I totally understand. That's why Shannon and I have actually done a lot of different videos and presentations and even written a bunch of stuff on how to identify a good behavioral program, a good ABA program. This particular issue that you bring up about high turnover 
ask the agents you go to and just say, what's your turnover numbers? Like, what percentage of your staff turn over every month? How many do you hire? How many do you lose? Yeah. Like, what are my guarantees that as soon as my child gets attached to someone, they're not going to leave? Yeah. You know, I mean, that is a, actually a really good measure, I think, of good leadership. I mean, I'm it, people always, like, give me a lot of credit for, you know, years and years of card, past card. Yeah. And I always say it wasn't me. It was like the, you know, 50 or so people that stayed there for over 20 years. Yeah. That shows you that they were all people who were mission-driven yeah. and dedicated to the cause. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's hard these days. It's it very is difficult. And I want to put out a plea to parents that on our side, what we all need to be doing is we need to not just be calling do call your ABA provider, but also call your insurance provider. Yes. And and say to them, I am having a hard time getting a, a behavior tech to come and stay. Yeah. I'm having a hard time. and Because here is the issue, if, at, you know, and this is my opinion and you can naysay whatever, but um, in this world, this post-COVID, you know, we're still – in COVID, but you know, we're calling a post COVID world where you can get paid $25 to go stock shelves at target. Yeah. Um, who are the people that are going to come in and get paid less than that yeah. to come in and work with kids and potentially, I mean, if you talk to these people and see some of the things that they go through, I watched my child hit therapists, yeah. my child who is now wonderful and productive and of on the course. Dean's list of, of college. Course. But when he was in a child, yeah. he whacked one of my favorite therapists with a geo track, a Fisher Price geotrack in the forehead. These people are doing a hard work. I've seen other people who are like, well, a kid peed on my shoe. Yeah. That's their shoe. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And that person stayed. Both of those people stayed. You know, this is, but this is not an easy job. And if you can get paid more to say, would you like cinnamon crispus with that? Yeah. You're going to have a hard time keeping people. Yeah. That's just a reality. And but insurance not... has to be able to pay them. Yeah. They have to make the funding that insurance gives them enough for people to stay. And right now, insurance keeps saying, no, let's pay them less. Yeah. And your insurance company wants to pay those people less than they would get paid at Target. And until you call the insurance company and say, excuse me, that's not right. That is, and you have to use certain words with them and say, yeah. this is denial of access to care. It says here that you're going to give it to me, but you're denying me access because there aren't people because you're not paying them. Yeah. We have to stand up as parents. And there's, and there's another thing that you as a parent can do, which I think is, and I think a lot of parents have been calling, and I think insurance companies are actually coming around, to be honest. Okay, good. Not just that, but Medicaid is coming around, which oh, is wonderful I'm glad to, to hear see. That. Yeah, they're like increasing their pay rates. But one thing that I want to tell you, which I guess parents, you might not realize, is that, so, you know, the, the behavior intervention folks, the behavior therapists, the entry level, you know, therapists, they come and they think, hmm, okay, I'm going to get paid, let's say, $20 an hour. Um, is this a job for me? I guess if I work 20, we 20 hours a week, mm. I can probably do it. Yeah, it'll work for me. So they bank on, they count on having 20 hours of work each week. And then what happens? Cancellations. And the cancellations are nobody's fault. But the truth is when a therapist is expecting a session and for whatever reason, a parent has to cancel whether their child is not feeling well or 
they need to go pick up their other child or whatever it is. They just don't want yeah. someone in the house that day or they, don't, they can't get to the clinic that day, whatever it is. That affects the therapists oh. tremendously because often the agency is not able to find hours for them. And so they actually end up doing, you know, 15 hours a week instead of 20. And that's when they quit. That is a very big reason for behavior therapists to leave because they're not getting the hours they wanted. Yeah. And so that's another thing you can do is just make Use sure your that hours. you're always available. Use right? your hours. Use all of them. Ari wrote in a few weeks ago regarding uh, their son's self-injurious stimming, and I had asked him to email me with more information. He said they hasn't had a chance to do that, that they've been in crisis mode, but that they will soon, and that they've been trying all types of replacements, but nothing is wor working. I think <sighs> we still got to wait for the email, right? Yeah, or Ari, I mean, you can also, if it's easier for you, on, and we'll talk about it a little bit now without having all the information we need, but if it is easier for you, please feel free to just, uh, you know, write in your comments here. And you, because, I, you know, you, re you refer to it as self-injurious stimming, and that's, it, you're using two very different terms together and it's important that you identify what it actually is because there's you know self-injury can certainly occur as a result of the child just uh, you know wanting the sensation there's a you know self-injury true self-injury occurs when the child is alone and they are either in pain and let's say their head hurts and they can't express it. And so they might hit their head or hit their head against a hard surface because that pain helps them kind of not feel the constant pain of whatever is hurting them in their head. Uh, or it could be something like, you know, they have tinnitus ringing in the ears and so they're hitting their ears in order to make that constant sound stop, it certainly could be. And that is what I would refer to as self-stimulatory behavior or stimming. But then also uh, self-injurious behavior also occurs when a child is like you give, you tell them to do something and they don't want to do it and they will hit themselves and the entire universe will panic and back off and not because, okay, okay, you don't want to do it. I'm going to leave you alone. Please don't hit yourself because it's a scary thing, right? Self-injurious behavior can also occur when a child wants something and they don't have access to it. I want that. No, give it to me. And then they get what they want. So it, again, becomes super important if you want to take a step towards figuring out how to fix this. The first step is to figure out what is the function what is actually happening before your child does this self-injurious behavior? Is it self-stimulatory? Is He's it? He's giving you more information oh, great, about great. it. He says he bangs his hand, wrist, and knuckles, and it's causing swelling and bruises. Right. And then the question really becomes not necessarily just the actual behavior. You're describing the topography of the behavior, which is important, but what happens before it? Why does he do that? Does he do that when a demand is placed? It's not attention-seeking. He likes how it feels when he bangs. How do we know that, Ari? How do we know that? Because I totally could be that it's not attention-seeking. 
is does he do it when he's alone? Let me ask you that question. Does he do it when he's alone there, and no one has placed any demand, asked for anything? There's no stimuli around him that he cannot access. Is he's, that He says he does it when there are no demands. But okay, does he great. do it when he's alone? And, and I think he just said yes. yes. Okay. Okay. So are you, you're at the point where you need to see doctors to try to figure out what it is that is causing him either pain or hyperstimulation that he's trying to control. I would immediately order a safety helmet, first of all, which are helmets that are padded, and they, you can actually control the pressure. I, let me give you a recommendation, something that I've tried with a few of my kids that has really helped. I don't know the name of this thing, but it's really interesting how I came about this. I occasionally had migraines. I don't fortunately anymore, but I used to, and ice always helped me. Mm. My husband somehow found this thing that is a hat that has ice packs in it, mm-hmm. and it puts a little bit of, it's, it's elastic material, mm-hmm. it puts a little bit of pressure on your head, and it's cooling. And let me tell you, it is an incredible item. And once I had that, I had a child who was self-injurious mm-hmm. and with his head particularly. And I thought to myself, why not? Let's try this. He might enjoy the pressure. He, the coolness might stop it. You cannot believe how fast it stopped his hitting of his head. It was unbelievable. All, he learned very quickly to ask for this thing, and he would put it on, and he would go about his day. So you have to test out these types of things because sometimes it's a matter of the child craving pressure. Sometimes it's a matter of the coolness. I may have said head, but it's not his head. It's his hands. And he says they've had to buy him a glove to protect his hand, wrist, and knuckles. He's happy when he bangs. He's laughing and playing while he's done it. Let me ask you something. Is this a kid you give a bongo drum to? Yeah, it might be, but how is he hitting when you say he bangs, he bangs his heads his, his hands, hands against objects or together? Can you maybe describe that to us? Because it says to protect his hand, wrists and knuckles. It sounds like he He's is just something. hanging. Yeah. Why don't you at this point if it is his hand He He has has bongos. bongos. (laughs) So if it is his hand that he's hitting against objects, then I think you're doing probably the right thing, which is give him gloves that are protective. Uh, Perhaps actually try the gloves that also have, there are hand types of stretchy things that also are cooling. Cooling tends to also reduce irritation, but also teach him activities that might uh, give him, bongos, of course, are not bad they're like this you might also want to teach him uh boxing uh, which is a very different activity but you then get this need under control because then what you're doing is you're saying when you see this boxing um either ball or one of those long things that are hanging and i you know and it's under my control we're going to be doing this and he can request it he can say i want to go work out and teach him boxing, but the rest of the time it's not allowed. And it's really interesting. Parents often ask me, they they worry that introducing something like that might increase the behavior. It in fact doesn't. It's like an outlet. It allows your child to use that that particular item or skill, and then the rest of the time he's 
just not doing it because it's not allowed. It's only allowed in those right. circumstances. With the gloves on, with the punching with the gloves, gloves on. on. That's right. Okay, I love that. We're, we're just about out of time. I do want to address, though, that um, somebody wrote in, Susie B said that in her case, it's the therapist canceling on her. And, and I think that that also happens. And, and I just, and, and I, I want to say to parents, and then I want you to speak on it, these are, this are, is a group of young people that are young and they have other things going on. And what I found as a parent is that when I had somebody who would cancel on me, what I would say is I would sit that person down. And I didn't ask permission from my provider, but I would sit that person down the next time they were with my child and I would say, I want to make you aware of the fact that we are a family that's trying to do X number of hours a week. You canceled this session. When are we going to be able to make it up? Because otherwise my child will lose that funding and here's where we're trying to get and I'm not going to have you stand in the way of that. Yeah. And, and so I would say, how are we going to reschedule yeah. that? And quickly what got known was that I was not the, the parent to cancel on. Right. That I was going to chase right. you down yeah. right. until you came and then I was going to request for you to be off our case. Yeah. yeah. But that I was going to be the parent, like Dr. Grampichet explained, that if you had hours scheduled with me and you wanted your hours, I was never going to cancel on you. Right. I was going to find a way to do those hours. So you know, be fair. I, I don't think I was mean when I would say it, but I would sit down and go, listen, here's what we're trying to do. That's right. And you canceled. I understand you have a life, you have things. How can we reschedule this? That's right. And I'm and not losing that funding. That's exactly right. And you also were a very rewarding parent. Oh, I always. So that's the other side yes, of it is like when, when you have those talks, and a lot of times, Shannon, that is so important. It's like so many people just avoid confrontation right as parents we're like oh my god one more thing I have to do but it's like if you are able to go and talk to the therapist and say listen I understand you have other stuff going on but please this is my child's life this is very important if you can't take this seriously you shouldn't be here let's talk about this because I really want you on this team that is one part of it but the other part of it is also just rewarding those folks who do show up and every single time telling oh. them what a good job you did, yeah. telling their supervisors, making sure that they're noticed in their company and, and that sort of thing as well. I, I totally agree with that. All right, we're, t- we're past time. Traven's getting the hook. Thank you so much for Always being here. Always a pleasure. And, and, and R.E.S., so please do write in. Yes, and, and Dark Angel has, has come. And I apologize to those of you whose uh, questions, I, there were questions at the end I didn't get to. Please write in early. I try hard. Uh, but I can't get to all of them. Uh, We're back tomorrow. Tomorrow we're doing a whole show on why is diet important in ABA. Oh, great. So we're doing that whole show. And then don't forget on Thursday, it's Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy. We've got an amazing parent, Dr. Grampichet, who wants to talk with all of you about the fight that he had to get his insurance to fund ABA in the school. Oh, wow. Oh, very good. there we go. Whole other new topic of conversation, right? So he'll be with us, with Nancy and I, on Thursday. Uh, but we're back tomorrow talking about diet. Until then, give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you, too. Bye-bye for now. Bye, everyone. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. 
spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records.